If you have God's Word, if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 through 13. So 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and reading verse through verse uh, 13 or 12, excuse me. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it? That overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, how I long for these words to come alive in our hearts tonight. Father, I know that you have something you need to say to us. Lord, I pray that we will tune out the things that clamor for our attention, Lord, our own mind, our own thoughts about so many different things. But Father, the only thing that really matters is what your Holy Spirit needs us to understand from this passage tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak through this, your servant. Lord, that the words of life that are spoken would bring life to our souls. And Lord, would light a fire in us so that we might be your servants and that we might speak your words with great boldness. Father, I pray that and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the people who lived in the first century lauded Roman emperors. For the longest period of time, the world was in anarchy. And when the Roman government took over, they brought the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. And for that reason, they were greatly praised by a number of different peoples in the world. 
These Roman emperors and Roman leaders built monuments for themselves, and other times other people built monuments to them. For example, the triumphal arc of Titus in Rome celebrated especially Titus' victory over the Jews in A.D. 66. Not only that, but images of of Roman victories were printed on coinage. John, the great apostle, lived in a time when power was seen in the Roman government. But John, the great apostle, understood true power belongs only to the Lord and to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. John has just finished saying, as we saw last week, that we cannot understand God's love unless and until we look and see it revealed in Jesus Christ. In the same way, we will never understand God's power in this world until we see it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know from what Scripture teaches us that we can observe God's power in nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. We can see God's power revealed in other ways, but supremely we see God's power revealed in Jesus Christ. In this particular passage, John once again is addressing those Christians who remained after the false teachers had led a lot of those people astray had led them to turn their back on God. Those who had withdrawn thought they had the power to accomplish their objectives. They thought they had the power to change everybody's mind to say that salvation was based on knowledge, not on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What John has been doing throughout this letter is to try to to address those false teachers but also at the same time to encourage those who had been left behind so that they would continue to remain faithful because true salvation and true power and true knowledge all come in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from some uh, ethereal out here, you know, higher thought processes that these false teachers were claiming. True power came from the Lord Jesus Christ. So God redefines conquering power. Look what he says here in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know the love, the children of God. We love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome to us. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How do you conquer the world? Now, we remember when John talks about the world, he's talking about this evil worldly system, this ungodly system that you and I live in every day. And if you watch the news or, or you turn on or open social media or you do anything, you understand this world is getting more wicked every day. Have you noticed that? It's not bending more towards God, it's bending further away from God. And if you read God's words, you understand as we get closer to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we know that things are going to get worse, not better. God tells us that we can conquer this world through, first of all, 
through a believer's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being born of a king, and Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. So being born of a king makes us automatically a part of God's royal family with the potential to reign in his kingdom. Now, we don't know what God's plans are and how it's going to look like, but God, through Jesus Christ, is going to reign over all things. He's going to make evil go away. He's going to cast it into hell where it belongs. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign. And you and I get to share in that reign because we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. John says here, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That Jesus is the Christ emphasizes once again the incarnation. Let me just remind you again of where we've been and what we've been talking about. These false teachers, there was one by the name of Serenthus who taught that the divine Christ spirit came upon Jesus Christ at his baptism and left him before the crucifixion. Well, if that's the case, guys, there's no atoning sacrifice for sins. If Jesus was not 100% man, he cannot die as our substitute on the cross. That was what was at stake. And guys, that is still at stake today. There's still people today that say Jesus was simply a good teacher, that he was a prophet, that uh, he was a good man. But there are not many people today that say that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Guys, you and I as believers in Christ, we need to understand this and we need to embrace it fully that Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% man. Anything less than that and you and I are still dead in our trespasses and sins and we cannot be saved. That's how important this is. That's why John keeps hammering the same thing from so many different angles. So the way that you and I conquer today in this world is through our faith. It's through a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Loving the Father also tells us something else. If we love God, we also do what? We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. John's already said if you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother, brothers, how can, you, how can you love somebody you haven't seen and ignore the people you have seen? Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ points to the fact that God loves us and God loves them. Our faith rightly relates us to the Father. We become sons and daughters of God. Now, that ought to excite you. You ought, you ought to be saying amen and shouting and jumping pews or doing something. Because God has caused us to be born again into a living hope. He's caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be part of His family. We are part royalty because we are children of the King. But you remember that these people, as John's already said, these false antichrists, these who were among us but they weren't of us, they went out from us, because they weren't of us. Had they been of us, they would have stayed here, but they left. 
You also remember that these who have gone away that had been meeting the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ all of a sudden are ignoring these brothers and sisters in Christ. They're acting in ways that are unloving towards these brothers and sisters over here. One of the ways they were acting unloving was saying that, hey, you guys have got it all wrong. You guys have messed up. If you really want to, if you really want to have true salvation, you need to come over here with us. Just like a, I still remember a, a deacon's wife that I met with one time. And she wanted to go to a different denomination, a different church. And, and I was pointing out to her this particular denomination did not stand very firmly on the Word of God. That they taught some heresy kind of stuff. What she said to me, well, preacher, that doesn't matter to me. This is where my friends are going. Now, they, fortunately, her husband was strong enough Baptist and strong enough believer in Christ that they stayed faithful to God's church. But if she'd have had it her way, she'd have gone somewhere else. God's theology matters. What we believe about God matters. Loving on our brothers and sisters in Christ matters. We are to meet their needs. You and I must do that. That's what it means. It also means loving God's children also means that we love God and we obey His commandments. What has God told us? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you do what? If you have love one to another. So by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, it shows that we are literally obeying God and keeping His commandments. Again, John is trying to point out, John is try, what John is trying to do is he's trying to encourage these believers that have been left behind in this congregation that are really struggling with what happened to them the way their brothers and sisters in Christ abandoned them. Does it ever bother you when people leave our church and go to other churches? It hurts, doesn't it? Because it's like losing a part of your family. Well, that's exactly what this congregation was feeling at that point in time. But at the same time, John was trying to get these people who had left. It was not too late to repent. It was not too late to get their hearts right with the Lord. It was not too late to come back home and be the people that they, they ought to be. And so John is preaching to two different audiences. He's preaching to those who've left, but he's also preaching to the ones that are still being faithful to God. To believe in Jesus is a new command that you and I are supposed to follow. But believing Jesus makes us a child of God. And as a child of God, we are to be obedient to His commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, if you know anything about Jewish law and about the, the, uh, the Jewish life during the first century, you remember what Jesus said? You have, he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you have created a burden that you can't even lift a finger. It's so heavy and you, you, you won't even pick it up and bear it yourself, but you expect God's people to do that. You expect the Jewish people to do that. It was a burden, wasn't it? They had made so many rules and regulations around the law that God never intended. But they had made so many rules and regulations around the law that He had become a burden to the people. 
Guys, if love is at the center of our being, and we relate to our other people around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, out of love, we are obeying God's commandments. We are fulfilling what God, the, the two greatest commandments, what are they? Loving God and loving others. Those two things together. And so God's commandments are, when you live out of love, God's commandments are not burdened to them. It's the greatest joy of our life to get to do what God's asked us to do, isn't it? Isn't it a great joy as a child of God to get to serve the Lord? Isn't it a great joy of God as we serve the Lord and we see lives transformed around us and we get to participate in that? Isn't it a great joy to our hearts when those kind of things happen? It is a great joy for us to get to serve the Lord. God's command to love is not difficult. It's not hard. Unless we take our eyes off Jesus and we start looking at the things of the world and we start accepting false doctrine and false teaching then it becomes a burden, isn't it? You ever notice that? Have you ever noticed when your heart begins, have you ever been in that situation where your heart's kind of drifted away from the Lord and you've gotten further away from Him than you really want to be? Are you not convicted when you hear God's Word proclaimed? And does it not sometimes make you angry because you really don't want to go that direction? You know you ought to. You know that's where you belong at home with the Father. Kind of like when you're a teenager. You remember when you were teenagers? I still, remember, I still remember our daughters when they were teenagers. Whatever we said, they did right the opposite. So if you wanted them to do something, you told them the opposite thing so they would do the right thing, you know? Are we not the same way as children of God when we begin to drift away from the Lord and we get rebellious in our heart? Then God's commandments become burdensome to us because we're not living out of love. We're living out of legalism, and God never wants that. God wants us to live out of love in our own spirit. God's love, literally, he says here, God's love overcomes the world. That concept was a, was a very potent concept, a very powerful concept during John's day and time. You're talking about the Roman Empire. You're talking about the great power they had. And they thought their material victories, their armies brought them victories, and it did. But was that the greatest power in the world? Of course not. The greatest power in the world is love. You know the thing that changed the first century? You know the thing that made Christianity so attractive to so many different pagans and different peoples? It was the love that they showed to one another. After Constantine had declared Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, there came an emperor, uh, Justin the Apostate, that was what he was called, because he apostated from the Christian faith. And he tried to reinstitute paganism and the worship of the Greek gods of Zeus and all those Apollos and all those Roman gods. He tried to, to get people to turn away Christians, turn away from Christ and turn to these idols. And he got so frustrated because the thing that made the difference in people that kept them focused on Christ was the way that Christians cared for those who were sick and those who were hurting and the widows and the orphans. The love that they showed to other people just made Julian irate because he couldn't pull people away from Christianity because of the love. That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have. That's the kind of actions that we ought to have. We ought to respond to one another because that kind of love literally conquers 
the world. Roman violence, Roman destruction and coercion that tried to bring everything under the power of Rome and under the worldly system was defeated by the power of love. Guys, you and I ought to be people of love. We ought to respond to others in love. I was talking to somebody before church tonight, and they were talking about how they're just so tired of all the anger that people have towards one another. And you know the sad thing about it is there's a lot of Christians that are in the middle of that. They're angry. And they express that anger in social media and other places. Guys, if we're ever going to reach this world for Christ, we have got to respond in love. Genuine, authentic love. And we've got to learn to control our tongues. Challenge you to go read the book of James. Read the book of Proverbs that talks about the importance of the use of our tongues. But we need to respond in love. The victory that has conquered the world, first of all, is faith. But we also conquer the world through God's testimony of who Jesus is. Now, the, the idea, if you understand the Jewish law, in Jewish law, you had to have two witnesses that completely agreed in order to convict somebody of a crime. In fact, if you go read the story of Jesus, they tried to get some people to come in and the problem was they couldn't get the two of them to agree on the same thing. And so finally the, the high priest got aggravated and got angry. And he looked at Jesus and he said, I adjure you by the living God, tell us whether you're the Christ or not. And he said, you said so. And, and he starts doing this big theatrical display, starts ripping his clothes, which was a sign of great humility and uh, and so he's ripping his clothes open and he's saying, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard it from your own lips. He's committed blasphemy. You see, Jesus had not been convicted of a crime. Pilate, when Jesus appeared before Pilate, Pilate, when he finishes interviewing Jesus, the official court documents was when Pilate says, I find no fault in him. He was not guilty by Roman law. He was not guilty under Jewish law because there were not witnesses that could agree. Now that's the context for which we see this next section. He talks about what is, who is it in verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but the water and the blood and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three, again, three that testify. You remember, you got to have two that agree. John is saying here, there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, in other words, if we receive the fact when two people agree is on touching anything, a person could be convicted of a crime. If we believe men and their testimony, is God's testimony not greater? Because God doesn't lie, does He? He always tells the truth. And so that's the context of this passage of Scripture. We conquer through God's testimony of who Jesus Christ is. Is. It's like God puts Himself on the witness stand and testifies on behalf of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's unshakable testimony is why faith conquers the world. What's His testimony? 
Jesus is the Son of God. That was in a direct attack on these false teachers that said Jesus appeared to be the Son of God or He appeared to be human, but He really wasn't human. What God wants us to understand is that Jesus is exactly who He claimed to be. So what is this thing about? He's talking about the conquering of our faith. What is it that conquers our faith? Well, it's incarnation that conquers. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the water and the blood. Now, if you, look at, if you go back and you study this particular passage, the theologians are kind of torn, some of them. One, one group of people think it refers to his, the water refers to his baptism because sometimes when people refer to baptism, they're talking about being put down in the water and brought back up again. That's what the word baptism means. Uh, most people believe the blood refers to the cross when Jesus was crucified. Uh, but probably here in this context, because Jesus, uh, John has been so emphasizing the incarnation and who Jesus was, this is probably a reference, a direct reference to the incarnation. And it was a direct message to those who declared that the divine Spirit of Christ came upon Jesus at His baptism and departed before His crucifixion. What John is saying is the water, what happened when Jesus was baptized? It marked the beginning of His public ministry. It didn't change fundamentally who Jesus was. He was still Jesus of Nazareth. He was still a human being. It didn't change. There wasn't any some kind of Spirit of Christ God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased as a human being. There wasn't some Christ spirit that came on Jesus and, and empowered him to begin his ministry. Jesus was always empowered because he was God come in human flesh. He was here to do his father's will. And of course, the blood refers to Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' spirit did not leave, the divine spirit of Christ did not leave the human Jesus Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Son of God and Son of Man and human being, the great God-man, was crucified at the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If the Spirit of Christ left Jesus before He was crucified, there is no atoning sacrifice for sin. And you and I are still dead in our trespasses and sin. You see why this is so important? You see why the incarnation, why John keeps hammering the incarnation? Because there were those false teachers that taught, since the matter is evil and spirit is good, then there's no way that good God would have ever incorporated or become a human being. And so they had to explain it somehow or another. And so they explained it like the divine spirit of Christ came upon the human body of Jesus of Nazareth at his baptism and departed before his crucifixion. Because there's no way that spirit, which is good, could ever go through something as evil as the crucifixion. But the truth of Scripture that has been testified out, go back and read the Old Testament. It talks about how Christ would suffer for our sins. That He would die in our place as our substitute. Old Testament Scriptures taught us that. And the truth of the matter is Jesus Christ died on the cross as a penalty for our sins. And so it is the incarnation that makes us right with God. 
John again is addressing these false teachers and telling them, you got it wrong, guys. Salvation doesn't come through knowledge. Salvation comes through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you know about Him and who He really is. And so to deny the gospel stories, it says here, whoever denies this story is really calling God a liar. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself, the testimony that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He who does not believe God has made God out to be a liar. Here God is testifying who Jesus is. And, and you're telling God that that testimony is not true, that Jesus was not who he claimed to be? You're calling the God of all creation a liar when you don't accept his testimony about the Son. There are other things that testify to who Jesus is. There were things that on here encourage you to go back. We're not going to do it tonight, but if you'll go back and you look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5 in John's gospel. Jesus is on the face of this earth. And they are not accepting his testimony for who he is. And so he begins to talk about the authority that he has. And he talks about the witnesses. After that, he talks about the witnesses to who he is. And in John 5.34, he talks about how John the Baptist is a witness that he is the Messiah. He talks about the works that he did that point out that he was who he claimed to be, the Messiah. The Father approved of Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I well pleased. And so the Father testified to who Jesus was. The Scriptures testified he says in verse 39 you search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life yet they bear witness about me uh, and so the the scriptures tell us who jesus is and then he goes on a little bit later and says moses testified to who jesus was there are all these witnesses throughout the scriptures that tell us that jesus was who he claimed to be are we going to simply ignore all those witnesses you know, we live in a day and time to, to here and now where people have already got their minds made up and they don't want to be confused with the facts. Would you agree with that? In a lot of different areas. I'm, I'm not talking just about in religion. I'm talking about in a lot of different areas. We live in a day and time when people, you know, they know they're right and they don't want you to, to challenge them. They, don't want you, they won't even let you have a conversation with them. If you don't agree with them and what they think, they will shout you down to try to silence you or to make you bend to their way of thinking. But God has testified that Jesus is Messiah. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. I don't care whether you like it or don't like it. I don't care whether you accept it or don't accept it. God said it and that settles it, whether you and I accept it or believe it or whatever. Guys, the world today still needs to know who Jesus is. We need to stand up and to shout from the rooftop, Jesus is Lord. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. There's enough testimony. There's enough evidence in the New Testament and in the Word of God to prove who God is and who Jesus Christ is if we will accept God's testimony. The sad thing about it today is the world in which we live, so many of the people that live in this world today, they have a different truth, and they, they almost believe that everybody is, has their own right to have their own truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. 
And the Word of God says Jesus is who He claimed to be. And if you and I are going to have a relationship with God, we must accept God's testimony. So the incarnation, everything that we know about Jesus, is is spelled out for us through God's testimony. To deny the gospel story is to treat God as if He were a liar. And to lump Him in the, the, the camp with the evil one, who we know is the father of all lies. John succinctly summarized this entire argument at the very last part when he says God has given us eternal life. And that eternal life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. These false teachers can say, hey, we've got salvation. It's because we've got this greater knowledge and we know more than you do, so we're, we're right really related to God and you're not. And God says, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. I don't care what you think and I don't care what you believe and I don't care what you say. Salvation is found in no other. There's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we are living in these days all over again. The days that John were dealing with. We were living in the days of false testimony. We're living in the days of false isms. There's a lot of isms out there. A lot of believism and easy believism and all that kind of stuff. But what the world really needs is to hear about the fact that God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, we, we've got to stand firm on who Jesus is. And it's going to be hard in the coming days. I just want you to know it is going to be hard to stand on what the Word of God says. Especially with this new Equality Act. It's, if it ever gets passed through Congress, and they're going to keep hammering on it until they get it passed. But this new Equality Act does not allow any provision for religious beliefs. So in other words, it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus and what we believe about the Word of God. We will be forced to live by this world's value or suffer the consequences. And we're going to suffer the consequences. I am anyway. Because I can't, I can't accept what they've said because it's not true. You and I need to be firmly founded on the Word of God and understand who Jesus is. If we're ever going to make it in this world. Let's go to God in prayer.